If you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 13 with me. John chapter 13, I'm going to start at verse 21, and I want to read all the way through the rest of the chapter down to verse 1 of chapter 14. And as the old Smoking the Bandit movie and the song that was popular in it, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So I'm hoping that we can get through this this morning. I'm very excited about this particular passage and how it sets up our first Sunday of May, how it sets up communion. But I also think this passage is very timely. Timely because I think right now we're in the middle of, we're in the tension of two worlds almost. We, we know vaccines are rolling out. We know that there's light at the end of the proverbial tunnel, but yet still in our country, we are dealing with the third wave, threats of fourth wave. We read on the news what's happening in India. We're suspicious of maybe what Russia and China are reporting, if they're being totally honest with the numbers. We often struggle here about the, the, the tensions between in, in the hope of the vaccine, and yet we're still wearing masks. We still have numbers. We're still looking at bubbles. We're still looking at all of these types of things. And with that comes all the other stuff that comes with it. Family tensions, relationship tensions, government tensions, all of these things. If there was ever a time, I've often said at the beginning of this, I told the elders that I figured COVID would represent globally three different waves. There would be the COVID-19 wave. Then I felt there would be the economic wave and then the mental illness wave. And I think we are all anticipating and feeling little bits of probably all three waves. So with that, I want you to take that mindset into this passage and put yourself here, okay? This is the Word of God. After saying these things, this is where Jesus is after finishing telling them about how they should learn from Him and how He humbled Himself to wash their feet. After saying those things, He said, John wants you and I to know that Jesus was troubled in His spirit. Now, how amazing was the emotions for John the Apostle to say, Jesus was troubled in spirit, okay? And then he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, and by the way, that means it's John the Apostle. In this particular gospel, that's the way John will always identify himself, so here, John is referring to himself. He was reclining at table at Jesus' side, and so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And so that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon, Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, that's Judas, and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. So that, in other words, the other 11 miss it. They don't catch the clue. They're so busy trying to figure out if it's them, they miss it. And then John tells us why in verse 29. Some thought, some thought that because Judas had the money bag... Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should go and give something to the poor because it was Passover and that was tradition. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out and it was night. And when we say it was night, we're talking like 10, 11 o'clock at night. We're get, heading towards midnight. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, now 
is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And I'll unpack that random kind of run-on sentence in, in just a few minutes. Then he says, little children, talking to the 11 that are left, yet a little while I am with you and you will seek me. And just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, this is the qualifier. Your obedience to verse 34 results in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Here's the conditional conjunction. If you have love for one another. Now, as soon as that's out of Jesus' mouth, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Classic Peter, he doesn't even catch the command. He goes right to the fact that the Lord said he was leaving. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I would lay down my life for you. So Peter doesn't like this plan and he doesn't agree with Jesus And watch now, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now, if I was going to start here on this first Sunday of May... We are, what, 16 months now, 17 months into this pandemic. Let me ask you just a basic question. How's your heart? How's your heart? Because most of you, not most of you, some of you might be thinking very, um, very particularly, and you might go, well, you know what, Steve? I was at the doctor the other day. The blood pressure's good. The cholesterol's down. The heart seems pretty good. That's what the doc told me. But others and most of you in this room, I think, and for those of you tuning online, when someone says, how's your heart, unless they've been fairly specific that they're talking about your physical heart, we tend to think of our emotions. And here we are, the first Sunday of May 2021. Can you believe it? Next Sunday is Mother's Day. Can you believe it's been a year since we did the whole flower thing and going to Coleman's and bid goods and all that? We've seen a record-producing number of vaccines. I think there's four or five just in North America. There's six or eight around the world. And yet, we've also, with that, comes the debate. Do I get the vaccine? Don't I get it? And we've had a lot happen in the last year, almost year and a half. We've had elections in our country, in provinces, in our own province. The pandemic, of course. We've had a series of natural disasters, economics. And the world is quite literally changing moment to moment, not day to day, month to month, week to week, year to year, but moment by moment right in front of us. Social media, for many of you young people, you, would, you, you know this, whether or not you admit it or not, cultural peer pressure. Then, of course, I already mentioned mental illness, security of any kind is of a premium right now, right? We're looking for job security or political security or social security. And it seems as much as we all want it, it's all up for grabs. So let me ask you and me, how do you do 
And how do you handle bad news? How do you deal with setbacks, unexpected events that take you right off guard, adverse circumstances? Have you ever wondered, especially you young people, have you ever wondered why you maybe heard your parents? Because I don't know how much you guys say this in the younger generation. We have saying like, well, that's Murphy's Law, right? Or that's karma. (coughs) Or things like, well, if anything could go bad, it will. Or have you ever heard this one? When, When you experience a couple of bad things and then people go, you know what? These things happen in threes. All right? Some of you are laughing. So some of you have had these conversations, right? And have you ever been in the midst of a struggle, some bad events have happened, bad circumstances, you are facing bad news, heart issues, struggles that have burdened you down, only to have that very well-intentioned but often naive or misdiagnosing friend come along and give you some trite advice about how to walk through your pain? Have you ever, you know, how would you feel when they do that? I know somebody in this church has a favorite expression, which is I'd punch them in the face. All right? You see, this is why I love God's word. This is why I love the Bible. This is why I love the gospel of John. My series of John has been called Conversations with Christ. And what I love about it is John's gospel is filled. Friends, your Bible is filled with people, real people, searching people, doubting people, hurting people, questioning people. John is filled with emotions. For some of you that are older, my age or in your 30s, you'll remember back in the early 2000s, there was a very, very popular nighttime, almost soap opera type show called Desperate Housewives. You can't even say it without lowering your voice and saying it, right? Like, like you're a movie announcer, Desperate Housewives, right? You see, the gospel of John is filled with desperate households. That's what it's filled with. There are desperate parents in the gospel of John who need help with their children. There are desperate spouses struggling with their marriages. There are people who are in desperate relationships, people that have faced betrayal, people that feel like everything around them, their friendships are being tested. Then there's the political tension of John's gospel. Rome is the oppressor. Religion is now political. You've got all of this stuff. You've got disagreement amongst the disciples and amongst the quote-unquote church religious people about who's the greatest. They're arguing about theology. They're arguing about how to relate to God. They're arguing about government and church and each other. Can I ask if any of this sounds familiar? You see, in John 13, it all comes to a head for the disciples. And I believe that right here today in this first Sunday in May, it's maybe coming to a head for some of you right here, right now. I think some of you in this room are desperate. You're dealing with issues emotional issues. You've got questions. You're dealing with feelings that maybe you can't explain. Maybe you've been shocked by Jesus' counsel or hurt by the counsel of well-meaning friends. But I promise you, no wait, God promises you in this passage that his counsel will calm your heart. You see, in this passage, I don't know if you saw it, in John chapter 13, 21 to 38, you actually have Jesus giving them three lots of bad news. 
He basically says, I'm about to be betrayed. And by the way, you're going to face betrayal. Okay. By the way, I'm leaving. So you're going to feel like you're alone. And oh yes, while you feel alone, I want you to love each other like I love you. And then when Peter runs off his mouth, he says, oh, and by the way, you're going to be weak. You're going to have to deal with your own weakness. So he says, you're going to face betrayal. You're going to face aloneness and you're going to face weakness. And then he follows that up with, and let not your heart be troubled. It almost seems oxymoronic, doesn't it? So listen, watch, watch this. Number one, you're going to face church, God ordained betrayals. You see that in verses 21 to 30. In God-ordained betrayals, in what has to be one of the saddest, most painful scenes in the Bible is this interchange between Jesus and Judas. It's the last time that Judas and Jesus will speak on an intimate level. The only other words they'll, they'll do is that Judas will show up with his army, with his little little uh, mafia group and he'll kiss Jesus on the cheek and that's the last that will happen between them these are the last words now I've done my best to try and help you understand in the weeks that I've preached that when Judas comes to this feast the fix is already in he's already gone to the to the chief priest and made his deal for 30 pieces of silver that he would sell out Jesus so Judas is there knowing what he's going to do even though nobody else knows but Jesus does Jesus knows about Judas betrayal Jesus by the way knows what's coming to happen to him in the next 12 to 18 hours the torture, the persecution, the trials, the crucifixion, the denial and abandonment of Peter and every other disciple. Yet he also knows that the gospel is about to be complete, that he's going to lay down his life and conquer sin, Satan, and death. And he also knows that only about a little over a month from now, physically speaking, he will ascend back to glory, reunited with the Trinity, and sit down at the right hand of God the Father. So quite literally, he knows the good, the bad, and the amazing. And you know what? When I tell you that and you look at this passage, many of you might think like I do, if only I could know. Like if I could only know who would betray me. If only I could know what was coming ahead. Some of you would face some uncertain circumstances. Some of you right now are walking with friends who are going through circumstances that they never saw coming. Some of you experienced things over the weekend that you were like, if only I had known. Or I wish I could know. Some of you would like to know, will something finally work out for me? Well, if I could just know. But I want you to realize That God has another plan for you and I than knowing like Jesus knows. It's a better way. A better way for us to live this life with all the chaos, with all the uncertainty, with all the ups and downs. Look at our passage. Look at what it says here in verse 21. Now, Jesus, his soul is troubled. See, John is the one who tells you and I that. This is not Jesus saying, guys, I'm troubled. John The disciple who is writing this wants you and I, his audience, to know that Jesus is troubled. Now, why is Jesus troubled? Because I've just spent four minutes telling you that Jesus wasn't surprised by Judas' betrayal. You know why he's troubled? Because he's looking into the face and he's realizing this is what sin does. This is the power of sin. 
This is Satan. He is looking at the face and he's seeing the effects of sin. He is looking at the destruction of Satan on humanity. Jesus is looking into the face of Judas. And I really wonder if Genesis 3.15 has come to life right in front of him when God told Eve and Adam, when he looked and cursed that serpent and he said, your, you, I will put enmity between your seed and my seed. You will bruise his heel, but I will crush his head. And here Jesus is looking at Judas and realizes, this is the instrument of Satan to bruise my heel. And it troubles him. You know that John tells us in two other occasions that Jesus was troubled in his spirit, both in the last three chapters, in chapter 11, chapter 12, and in chapter 13. And what's amazing is what what troubles Jesus is death and sin. In chapter 11, he was troubled as he stood before the sealed tomb of Lazarus and he looks and he receives people mourning and they're hopeless as they feel the sting of death and the separation of death and Jesus is troubled and then again in chapter 12 when the Greeks come to Jesus remember John tells us Jesus knew that this was the last sign that now death was coming and he realized this had to happen for the plan because this is what sin requires and it's funny Because we see and we need to see and sense the tension. Can anyone say they actually like to be around when someone's been betrayed? I don't know if you watch television like I do. I'm a big sook when it comes to TV and movies and all these things. I, I talk a good game, but I'm really a big sook. And one of the reasons I'm a typical man and I love the remote is because that way I can change the channel when everything gets tense or weird or awkward for me. So, you know, I I watch a lot of reality television. And back in the early days when Survivor was first coming out, it was the one thing that Debbie and I could find in common to watch. And I would watch it. But then there was always the betrayals. There was always the backstab. There was always the big move. And then, you know, there was always the the big council around the fire and someone was going to get blindsided. And when all the weird, awkward conversations were happening and the shocked faces, I'd always turn it over. And Debbie would lose her mind. All right? Because I didn't want to watch that. Have you ever been in a a place where someone has been betrayed or backstabbed? and, And no one relishes it. No one's like, oh, goody. And you see this in, the, in this, when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, nobody's comfortable. Everybody is asking, is it I? Is it I? And the way they were doing it, they're laying down, okay, they're, they're having their, their great Passover feast, and they're leaning on the left side. So John is leaning on his left side. Jesus is here. John is to his right. And so they're leaning in, and they would eat with their right hand. And so Peter is probably somewhere over here. And he says to John, ask Jesus. And so you get it in there. John says, all I had to do was lean back. Some of your translations said he put his head on his bosom. Basically, he just leaned back like this. And and Jesus is right there. And he says, Lord, who is it? And that's when Jesus says, who I dip this morsel of bread in. And they totally miss it. They totally miss it because Jesus goes and does it. But because that's followed up with, go and do what you have to do quickly. And because Judas was the guy who held the money. He was like the treasurer of the twelve. Now, we know others that he was a thief. He was funneling money from these things. But the guys miss that. They don't know this. This is all stuff you find out after the fact. And so here they are. And Jesus puts it out there. One of you are going to do this. Mark says that they actually said, is it I? Is it I? Am, am I the guilty one? 
And like all good betrayals and like all good blindsides, Peter asks John to ask Jesus, and nobody sees it coming. But Jesus did. And before you run off from this, not only did Jesus know this, he knows this and he still loves. Jesus knows this and he doesn't quit. Jesus will have Judas show up and kiss him. The disciples will be there to see it. And very quickly, this is what makes Hebrews chapter 4 so powerful. It's why we go to God in prayer. It's why we have confession and prayer in our services. It's why Jesus will tell these same disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. Because we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who knows how you feel. So some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have lost friendships. Some of you have been hurt and blindsided. I put a Facebook status out. My father, one of, you know, I live this out. The older I get, the smarter my dad gets. And I live this out every single day where my father said, Stephen, if you have one or two best friends, you'll be blessed of God. And I, I saw something last week in a tweet that was similar to that. And I put it on my Facebook and connected it. And it was such a blessing to me. I had a young lady from my last ministry who was literally only like eight or nine years old when Debbie and I went there. And now she's married with two children. And, and later on the day after I posted that, I got this private message from her. And she said, Pastor Steve, I remember the day you told me this for the very first time. And she said, I thought you were crazy. Because I went through high school and I was popular and I had all kinds of friends. And she said, now I'm married and I have two children. And she said, I realize that almost all of my high school friends are still not my high school friends anymore. And the ones that I'm closest to, I never saw coming. And I really am blessed of God to have one or two best friends. I've had all kinds of acquaintances, all kinds of people that come and go. And you're all going through this. And God says, you are going to face these types of things. Have you ever been hurt by someone, stabbed in the back, lied to, let down? Have you ever counted on someone or thought someone had your back or thought this person is my friend? David spoke of this often in the Psalms in Psalm 41 when David's confessing his sin, but he's mourning the events of life all around him. This is what he blurts out. He says, even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. But you, Lord, you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Later on in Psalm 55, and by the way, if any of you are dealing with relationship issues, you need to make Psalm 55 your best friend I read Psalm 55 every single week. It's one of the most incredible emotional cries from a human being to God. David is dealing with betrayal, family failure, marriage conflict. All the while he's living in a country in civil war as the nation faces attack. And this is what he writes. Now it was not an enemy who insults me. Otherwise I could bear it. It is not a foe who raises up against me. Otherwise I could hide from him. But it is you. A man who is my pair, my companion, my good friend. We used to have close fellowship. We walked with the crowd into the house of God. He's basically, we used to go to church together. We served in the temple together. And this is why I love the Bible again. From the youngest of you to the oldest. I love John 13 because Jesus is troubled about sin and death and evil. He's going to die to overcome it for you and me. And Jesus knows and has felt the sting of stuff you and I are feeling and dealing with right now. So are you struggling with friends? 
Jesus knows how you feel. Are you struggling with relationships? Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you anxious about your children? Are you struggling with how to make sense of your life and what significance or meaning of it is? And you're wondering, does anybody care? Yes. What a friend we have in Jesus. Watch this. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now, if you're walking through this, is it confusing? You bet. Does it blindside you? Absolutely. Will you go through times of doubts and I wish that you could have seen it all coming. I wish I could have seen that so I could have protected myself or protected my other friends. Absolutely. But let me just tell you something. It wouldn't change a thing even if you knew it. In fact, it would actually make your life more complicated and miserable. Now, I want you to hang on to that because I'll get to that in a minute. But now I want you to realize, so you're going to face God-ordained betrayal. Number two in verses 31 down to 35, you're going to experience God-ordained aloneness. You're going to. No sooner does Jesus tell them that one of them is going to betray them and then the questioning of the disciples, but then he gives them the hardest news they would ever hear up to this point in their lives. Jesus says, I'm going to leave. And he says, you can't come with me this time. Now, I want you to imagine the shock and awe of this. Some of you are in your mid-teens and later teens here, and you've been around the safety of your parents and your grandparents. Can you imagine if while you're driving home, your parents dropped you off and said, okay, go into the house. There's some frozen food in the freezer. Mom and dad are leaving. You can't come with us. And that's all they give you. We'll be back when we're back. You can't come with us. How many of you as young teenagers and, and young adults would be like, what, what? Where are you going? Now, I know some of you are going, oh, no, no, Steve, you don't. We, it'd be party, right? Like, yeah, I get it. You think that until the reality really sinks in. Trust me. These guys are in shock and awe. And especially considering how Jesus starts this. But look at it in verse 31. Look at it. When he had gone out, that is Judas. When Judas had gone out, and now it's the 11 of them and they're alone. See, now the true disciples, the true family of God is gathered. And Jesus begins by telling them this. Now, have you ever been in a room where you really wanted to have a serious conversation with somebody, but there was somebody else in the room and you knew you couldn't have that serious conversation? Moms and dads know this, right? It always seems like you want to have a serious conversation, but your children are there. And when they're really young, you do that whole spell thing, right? Do, you know, do we want to put them to B-E-D before S-U-P-P-E-R? And then all of a sudden, you get the shock and awe when they learn how to spell, and they call you out on your spelling. Or what's worse is they become better spellers than you when you spell something wrong, and they call you out on it, <laughs> right? Or have you ever been in a room where you know you have to have a serious conversation and there's these hushed tones, and then finally the person leaves, and you're like, okay, now we've got to talk. Judas is there. He's not one of them. He's gone now, and Jesus says, now, now we've got to talk. I've got to, I've got to tell you some stuff, and it's stuff that only you need to hear. He's alone with his disciples, and then he drops this bomb on them. 
Now make sure you get it. Look at verse 31 and 32 again. Because he actually says, now that we're alone, let me give you this revelation. And it's this weird sentence when he says, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now I doubt any of you read that and went, well that makes sense. It is a beautifully rich verse. And let me try to break it down for you. Basically, Jesus is saying this. Okay, I'm about to be glorified. Yes, even the pain and the suffering and the betrayal and the rejection and the aloneness I'm about to face will actually bring God my Father glory. And when he gets glorified, I get glorified. And by the way, it's all for your benefit. It's always about the crucifixion. This is why, um, I forget the guy who was Patch the Pirate from Majesty Music. He wrote the song, Born to Die. Jesus was born to die. It's always been the plan. The crucifixion of Jesus brought the glory to the Father. His glorified, it glorified him in his wisdom and his faithfulness and his holiness and his love. And the crucifixion will bring the glory of Jesus, the Son Because in the cross, we see his compassion and his patience and his power. Now, listen to me, because we're going to celebrate communion in a few minutes. Verse 32 means, Jesus says, I am facing betrayal, and I will endure the aloneness, and I will suffer all of this so that you will know my power. Yes, because I think we look at the cross and we go, up from the grave he arose, and all the things that he overcame. I think the greatest need in the 21st century church in the midst of a COVID pandemic is for every one of you, men and women, young and old, to know that God's power is revealed to you in his compassion and his patience. You don't have to impress Jesus Jesus doesn't have sexiest man of the year award programs or sexiest woman of the year. Jesus doesn't look for the MVP and the greatest athlete. Jesus doesn't look for the smartest and the most talented. Jesus looks at every one of you and says, I love you. I love you. And I love you so much, I've got the power to change you. And not only do I have the power to change you, I've got eternal patience to do it. I've orchestrated your life from before you were born. And that plan is mine to work out. And look at it. He says, now that I'm going away, now that I'm going to be glorified. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you this new commandment. I'm going to give you a commandment, a new commandment. Now, Jesus has sent the disciples out before. This is not new. Back in Matthew chapter 10, he sent them out on a short-term missions tip and, and sent them out and commissioned them in twos. But this is the first time Jesus ever said explicitly, I'm leaving, you can't come. Judas has gone to betray me. Jesus is going to a place they can't follow. They're going to watch. And then as they watch Jesus suffer and die, don't you believe that they're going to feel alone? They're going to feel alone, and those feelings will be real, and I mean real experiences and real circumstances. They're going to see Jesus arrested. They're going to fear that. 
They will know that he was killed and buried. They'll know the weight of the culture of religion and government turning on them. They will feel the condemning eyes and the accusing glares, and they will feel alone. And what does Jesus do? I'm going to give you guys a new command. A new command. You see, immediately after this sad announcement, he says, I want you to love one another. And notice he called it a new commandment. And it's not a new commandment because it had never been given before. All right? You all know Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? The, the, the first and great commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the next is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. But the reason why Jesus says this is a new commandment is because Jesus says, I want you to love now like I have loved you. That had never been said before. That had never been experienced before. He says to them, you're going to feel alone, which means you're going to need each other. And I want you to remember how I've loved you, and now I want you to love others the way I've loved you. That was the new commandment. And you know this. You know this because remember, David's going to preach this soon in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus was himself love, for he was God, and God is love. But secondly, he wants them to love, transfer his love for them to the way they love each other. And I hope that makes this wonderful and beautiful, makes sense to you. Because when Jesus starts 34 with this new, new commandment, what he's saying is, look, love one another like I've loved you. But, but wait a second. You already know that we're not perfect. You already know I'm doing premarital counseling with several of you couples. And you know that it's you want to love your spouse, your future spouse, with everlasting love. But I'm telling you, go talk to every married couple in the room. Because despite their best intentions and best efforts, nobody loves like Jesus loves. We screw up. We fail. So is Jesus actually saying, I want you to love like me perfectly? No. Because Jesus knows, I'm going to go and pay for your sin. I'm going to rise from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and Satan. I will ascend to heaven. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. I will empower you and guide you and give you my word to teach you. And wait, he did, he did, just, did just that. So you and I can have the hope to love, the motivation to love, because we might feel alone, but you're not alone. You might feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. And then very quickly, look next in verses 36 to 38. You're going to face God-ordained weakness. I love Peter. Jesus barely gets this out. And Peter says, <clears throat> a word, Lord. I don't like your plan. Okay, where are you going? Where are you going, Lord? Come on, now tell it. Drop it on me. See if I can't tell you that I'll go. Because that's what he's basically doing. He's daring Jesus. Drop it on me. Now tell me where you're going and I'll tell you if I can go or not. Because I would die for you. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, 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 Peter. You have no idea how weak you are. You're going to fail me. Not only that, you're going to screw up and deny me three times before the, mor the, the sun rises Friday morning. And I love this because there's no doubt there's doubt in each of these disciples, right? Judas excluded. 
Whatever they said they would do, several had just prepared the upper room. They've walked with Jesus. Everywhere Jesus told them to go, they went. Everything that Jesus told them to do, they did. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, you can't come with me. Peter opens his mouth, really on behalf of the whole group. And, Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, you, you can't pull this off. You're too weak. So here they've had Jesus say, basically, you're going to face betrayal. You're going to feel alone. And you're weak. And wouldn't you know it? Do you find yourself ever yelling at the Bible when you read it? Do you ever read this and go, Peter, you numbskull? Why did you say this? Do you ever feel like, how can they say? Have you ever watched a movie, but then you go back and you watch it the second or the third time, and you know what's going to happen, and yet you still feel all the emotions, even though you know what's going to happen? And you're like, what a doorknob. Why did Iron Man do that? Right? Didn't he see what Ultron was going to do? What a numbskull. Right? I, I do this with my Bible. I'm like, Peter, you idiot. Peter wasn't going to die. He would deny. But nevertheless, Jesus loved him. All they did that. because So you're going to face betrayal. You're going to face aloneness. You're going to face weakness. And then I love this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. I would love to have been in that room and look at the 11 of these guys, look at each other. You've got to be kidding me, right? One of us is going to betray Jesus. He's leaving. We got to love each other the way Jesus loves us. Who's pulling that off? Peter just ran his mouth and Jesus just told him he's going to quit and run. And then Jesus says, now, boys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Let's go to the Mount of Olives, <laughs> right? But that's not how it goes because finally, as we come to the table of the Lord, I want you to look at this. You have a savior to believe in. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus just told them, I'm going to be betrayed. You're going to face those betrayals too. He told them he was leaving and that they had now to love each other. And don't forget the reason for that, right? Because the world is watching, and the way the world watched Jesus and saw his compassion and his patience and his long suffering and his truth and his soft and gentle, lowly demeanor and his heart, the way children were brought to him and women were safe and taught and empowered by him, the way men were drawn to him and could be honest and soft and weak and unsure around him, they were to love each other that way. And then, oh, and by the way, only then will this watching, doubting, cynical, accusatory, shouting, tempting, deceived, hurting, scared world will know that you and I are truly Christians. But then he says, Peter, in effect, the other 10 and 2,000 years later, he's telling you and I, you're going to be weak. You're going to screw up. You're going to doubt. You're going to be confused. You're even going to run and hide or want to quit. And yet here he is, he's washed their feet, dismissed Judas, and basically given them a trifecta of doom and gloom, betrayal, aloneness, and weakness. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. What? How? How? And by the way, this word troubled is the same word that John used that said Jesus was troubled in his spirit. You see... I think many of you love to sing and long for and believe that we don't have to let our hearts be troubled. We don't want to feel anxious or depressed or worried or scared. We don't want to panic or fret. We don't want to imagine the worst to assume it. We don't dwell and obsess over your past, your present, or your future. But the problem is, is that many of you long for it, but how many of you experience it? 
And considering what Jesus has just said, how do you think these 11 disciples felt? Peter would deny him. All 10 would bail on him. They would struggle and be scared all the way through the resurrection and the ascension. And so what is Jesus saying? R.C. Sproul writes, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another, quite another to believe God. And I wonder if that's the problem in churches. I wonder, young people, listen to me. I wonder if that's your biggest struggle. You've been raised to believe in God, but do you know God? You see, there's ways that you can think of this, but basically Jesus is saying, believe in God, believe also in me. He's not saying believe in God and believe in me. He's not saying you believe in God and you believe in me. He's saying, if you've believed God, now you need to believe me. And again, remember when I was back to, I wish I could know. Jesus knew that Judas was going to do this. Jesus knew what he was going to face. Jesus knew what the outcome of his crucifixion would be. Jesus knew that he was going back. And many of us can be, I just wish I would know. I wish I knew how my kids would turn out. I wish I knew if I was going to get married. I wish I knew if I was going to graduate or if I'd struggle with that course. I wish I knew if I'd have friends. I wish I knew if my job choices were the right ones. And you think if I only knew, really? Think about if you actually knew everything that was going to happen to you. Do you actually think you'd have a calm heart? Or would you be freaking out every day trying to stop all the things that you knew were going to happen, but you couldn't? That's why Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You don't know, but I do. Believe me. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who will die for you and rise from the dead for you. I'm the one who will know everything about you and everything that will happen to you. And I will guide you and protect you. And none of it will own you. And none of it defines you. I will look after you. I will forgive you. I will shape your life through all the muck and the ups and downs and the intense and the stressful times. And by the way, Jesus isn't teaching perfection here. He's teaching process. And are you ready for this? He's not even teaching process. He's teaching a person. He's like, listen, you've believed in God. Now believe in me. And that's a process. But you've got to believe in me because I will do it for you. Trust meets relationship. <laughs> I think more than a troubled heart for many of you is the facing of bad news or bad events or even fearing the future. It's the troubled heart of rejection or not feeling safe. It's the troubled heart of am I accepted or wanted. It's the troubled heart of that your kids will be okay or that your marriage will survive or that you will survive. It's the troubled heart of what will happen to me and what about my job and my retirement and my friendships and my parents? What happens if the government turns on us or if I get sick? How do I handle it when I'm betrayed or I fail? What do I do? And Jesus says, believe in me. And I've told you this, right? I believe in bungee cords. I don't trust them. I know the science of them. I know how it works. But nobody is going to put a large rubber band around my ankles or connect it to my back, take me 500 feet above rocks or a running river and say, have a good time, jump. But Jesus says, will you trust me with your life? J.C. Ryle says, passages like this should make us see the amazing love of Christ to sinners. 
how many cups of sorrow he drained to the very bottom in working out our salvation. And what do you learn from Judas today, young people, older people, here and online? That you need more than an example, you need a savior. Having someone to look up to is not the same as having a savior. And God saves, we don't. Moms and dads, remember that? Grandparents, remember that? Even people that are searching for Jesus, you can't save yourself. God does. And you need to remember this, what a patient Savior Jesus is. This passage teaches us so many beautiful things, and communion is probably one of the best of them. Because you'll be betrayed, but Jesus will never betray you. You will feel alone, but Jesus is always with you. Remember that new song written, Psalm 13? I will confess some days I feel forgotten. Seems like you're hiding your face from me. I will admit that I wrestle with my thoughts, struggle with all the sorrow deep. How long will you leave me here without answers, crushed by the words of my enemies? But I will trust your unfailing love. I will rest knowing you're enough. I will give praise through all my days. You have been good to me. I will trust your unfailing love. I will rest knowing you're enough. I will give praise through all my days. Oh, you have been so good to me. Let me ask you, are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting him? And do you realize that you can have a calm heart in 2021 from the youngest of you to the oldest, men and women, when you realize that Jesus has faced betrayal for you. Jesus was truly alone, so you never will be. Jesus was weak for you so that in your weakness, you can lean on his strength. And what a day will be, because this life is not as good as it gets. But there's coming a day when Jesus will wipe away your tears and will redeem pain and heal everything. And there will be no more worries, no more fears, no more regrets, no more hurting, no more hurting others. The great commission will be the great accomplishment and the earth will be filled with your glory, a redeemed family and all things new. So we should be able to say today, in the middle of COVID, bring it on. Because, oh, Father God, until that day, Renew and deepen our love for Jesus. Help us grow in gentleness and humility and kindness. What a beloved. We are cared for and hope-secured people. So we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. I am not betrayed. I am not alone. And I am loved. And if you will trust that, believe that, no matter what you're facing right now, you will leave here and you will have a calm heart. Let's pray. Father God, again, I pray that my family, both my physical family, my extended family, and my church family, here and online, would know the truths of John 13, 21 to 14, 1. And now, Lord, as we take a couple of minutes now to just celebrate communion, may we do so in the shadow of these realities. Despite betrayals, feelings of aloneness, fears of inadequacy, we are called to believe in you because you lived and died and rose again for us so we can have calm hearts in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.